Hello and welcome back to my hearsay podcast after a little bit of a break. This is episode 25. Uh, Maybe I'll call this season two and whenever I need a break, I'll start a new season. That makes sense. Um, Sorry, I haven't put out an episode in a little while. I got super busy with shows. I went to Japan for two weeks and then Christmas and New Year's happened and more shows and recording. I don't mean to make excuses for myself, but it's been a busy time. So I've decided I'm going to do these podcasts when I can rather than every two weeks. Uh, I think the German side of me loves the routine. I'm having an inner struggle about not keeping to one. But hey, uh, let's not stress about the little things. Uh, It's just a podcast and I'm sure nobody out there will care, right? Right. Today's guest is Shane Parsons from Dizzy Death Rays. Uh, They have just put out a new album, Bloody Lovely, and are heading out on tour soon. So make sure you check them out. It's a really great album. So make sure you check that out too. Shane's Funny Story was illustrated by Craig Atkins. You can check out more of his work on Instagram at catkingssucks. So that's C-A-T-K-I-N-G-S-S-U-X. Please continue to send me your comments. I've been really loving hearing them. Uh, Subscribe to the podcast, rate it on iTunes, whatever you want to do. I would love to hear from you. Uh, Here it is. Hearsay number 25, Shane Parsons. Thanks so much for being on my podcast. That's okay. It's really nice to talk to you um, because I feel like, you know, we we haven't really spent a lot of time talking in real life. This is really nice. Yeah, I know. It's been, I think, I can't even remember the last time we did sort of see each other, but it was a few years ago. Yeah. And I was just thinking today because I've been listening to your songs a lot this week and um, I actually am not entirely sure the last time I saw you guys play either, but you guys play all the time and I feel like I'm kind of blowing it by not you know not being uh, at the shows lately. No, no, no. You're doing you do you probably did the right thing because we sort of <laughs> we haven't <laughs> no, but I mean it in the, like we we haven't actually played uh, that many sort of our well not our own shows for since December 2016 was the last tour oh, that right. we did. Yeah, yeah so and our next tour is in thing. May. Yeah, it's one of those things we kind of we did so much touring in December uh, sorry in 2016. Um, we did like the Violent Soho tour. We did Groove in the Moon. That's right. And we did, that was epic. We did like some tours overseas and we did some festivals in Australia. And it was kind of, I remember we were putting up shows in December and people were like, oh, seen them like four times this year, five times. Yeah. You know, <laughs> but I'll do one more. And we, we were kind of reading those kind of, yeah, maybe Uh-oh. we need to actually like put the brakes on a bit and make people want to see us again. Otherwise, we'll never be able to get to that next level venue. Yeah, it's a weird thing to have to plan that stuff. You know, you actually need to have a a plan of like attack when it comes to live shows when you get to a certain level. Hey, you sort of have to think, well, if I I play too much, I'm going to be at this level forever. Well, that's it. And it's funny for us because like, you know, I can sort of almost, it feels like we do a lot of shows, but our actual headline tours, there wasn't... It's not that many of them. And the way it sort of worked is like since we put out the second record, so in 2014, we did 
our tour there, let's say we did the, we played the zoo in Brisbane and Oxford Art Factory in Sydney, the Corner Hotel in Melbourne, that kind of, that was where we were sitting. But then we, the next tour we did to back that up, we got Bass Trump of Death over from the state. So we wanted to give them as many shows as possible so they could kind of make a bit more money so that they could survive being in overseas for three weeks. Um, and, you know, and also just like, so it was a bit more chilled out, you know, they could just stay in the one city for a few shows. So we ended up doing like five shows in Melbourne and two, two shows in Brisbane, two shows in Sydney. So we actually, but we went down, like down in size and venues. So we did like bright, bright side and stuff like that. So then going from that to try and go to, we went, we did the Trifford and, um, and we did Factory Theatre in Sydney and we, the Crocs in Melbourne and we sort of struggled, especially, well, we struggled in Melbourne, I think because Meredith was the weekend before, but oh, also yeah. we were only on the, it was only the back of a, a single as well and we, because we hadn't right. put any, a record out. So it was kind of one of those things where we were like, oh, this is really, like it's, like it's getting there. We, I know we'll get there on the night, but it's nice to think like, especially when you're um, like other buddies in bands are sort of doing these sellouts before the show or even like months before or weeks before yeah, the show, yeah. you kind of want to stay up with that as much as you of can. Of course. So, yeah, but th- but that's the problem with being mates with Violent Soho. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, I know. No I know. one's gonna <laughs> sell that quickly. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's crazy though because sometimes it just happens, and sometimes you got to really work for it. And um, you know, and that was just one of those things on that tour because we were, I don't know, we were just like, oh, maybe maybe we went too big, and but we ended up selling out the Trifford, which was amazing. Oh, and that's we, awesome. That's a big venue. Yeah. Yeah, it was great, and um, you know, and we're gonna do that that sh- that venue again on the next tour on this album. Yeah. Uh, so we're we're talking on we're speaking on the first of Feb. So this will probably come out in a little bit later. But you have your third album coming out tomorrow. Is that right? Tomorrow. Yep. Tomorrow. Are you stoked? Yeah. Yeah. Totally. It's uh, <laughs> it's been a long sort of four years between them. I mean, we kind of. We put a record out and then we toured it for a year and a half pretty hard. Yeah. And then um, and then we we didn't really write in that time, you know. And so and also we, we recorded and finished in January and then went straight on tour. Um, and then the record was out in April. There was no lead in. This time we finished the record in March last year. Um, yeah, right. And so we've had it's almost really, a year yeah. just sitting yeah. on it. Um, you know, we're getting close to write, have written like another half a record sort of in demos. Well, we've, you know, we've got a bunch of stuff, but like I would say there's about five that are pretty decent. Um, so it's, it's a bit of a different one, this one, but we've also having that time has given us a lot more, um, time to be organized and things are still down to the wire trying to get things organized (laughs) in time, you know, it's always one of those things like uni assignments, you might try it, you might start it as soon as you get it, but you're going to be finishing it, you know, three in the morning before it's due. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sometimes that's where you do your best work. Oh, yeah. Well, that's what I always say. I'm always like, you know, pressure makes diamonds. We always yeah. use that in the studio. Pressure also makes hemorrhoids. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it makes a lot of things. You never know. <laughs> you never know which way it's going to go. <laughs> so what, when are you doing your album tour? So the album tour is in April, May. It starts at the, at the 
I haven't got the days in front of me, but <laughs> I oh, should have. Right. Uh, April, but, yeah, May no, is fine. I'm sure people can look it up. But what are yeah. you playing bigger venues? What kind of? Yeah, we're going some bigger venues this time. We're doing um, we start well. We're doing we're going to New Zealand to start it off, which is really cool because awesome. we don't we don't go over there uh, enough, you know, enough. But we really love it over there, and um, so it's good to get over there and do. We're doing three shows over there, and then um, right. come home, and we're gonna do yeah. So I guess the the bigger ones. We're doing the Metro Theatre in Sydney. Which is a big step for us. Um, yeah, and I, I've big. always loved that venue, and it is a Me great too. rock and roll venue. Um, and in terms of Melbourne, we're doing one seventy Russell, which is uh, yeah, was actually the size. yeah, it was one of the it was the first venue we ever played in Melbourne, I think. Awesome. Yeah, so we did. Um, we got added to the Crystal Castles tour like really last minute back in two thousand and nine, and so. We went straight out, and that was the first show. And it was at, at well, it was back then. It was called Billboards. Yeah, yeah, and, um, I remember that. Yeah, and we so we played there. I remember it being a really great venue. Um, so it's gonna should be cool to sort of go back and play there. I think last time we played in Melbourne, we played the Croxton, which is a little bit less than one seventy, but it's it's in Thornbury, and although that's a cool area, sometimes it's harder for people to get to that. Um, yeah. So it's kind of nice to do like an inner city theatre sort of. For sure. You know, the first gig I ever played in Melbourne back in Seculent Days was The Forum. It's like the weirdest first Melbourne. (laughs) I mean, it wasn't our show. We were supporting uh, Supergrass, but it was like the weirdest first gig in Melbourne ever. I think I like legitimately nearly spewed on stage. (laughs) How how was Supergrass? Ah, the best. Like the best uh, shows, yeah. I, I really, really love Supergrass and I'm so yeah, bummed like, that I kind of fell in love with them. Like I knew them when I was a kid but I, I never got the opportunity to ever see them and then they probably like slipped out of my listening circle, you know, what I was into in my sort of, you know, coming out of, in uni, uni days or whatever. Um, and then later on in life, I was like, this band is amazing. They have so many They're great so songs. They're so good. Yeah. Their songwriting's awesome. And I, and I hear so many bands these days that just fully take influence from, oh, from that sure, band. Oh, for sure, yeah. Yeah, they, they're so amazing live too. And I was in a – because I was only like 19 or something when we played with them. And when I was in high school, I had their pictures on my wall. Like I was really massive Britpop um, influenced when I was little and – um yeah it was just really bizarre like getting to um to with them but actually I re- I wrote you know that um women of letters have you ever heard of that the events around Australia where they get people like they get people in creative industry to write a letter to a certain theme and read it out to a room oh right I got invited to do that a few years ago and our theme was a letter to the person who hopefully doesn't know who I am and I wrote my letter to Danny the drummer from Supergrass because I really heavily stalked him back when I was oh. a teenager <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing I'll send you a copy of the letter yeah. <laughs> it's, it's pretty funny <laughs> that's awesome have you ever had moments like that where you've toured with someone that you've just absolutely idolised as a teenager? Well, I mean, we just did that show with Foo Fighters, and I mean, oh, although yeah. we did the, we did a, sh- a couple of shows with them back in two thousand eleven, um, and we got to meet them then, and they they were super cool, um, and they were 
gave us a time of day and they, you know, really friendly and grabbed us a beer and all that sort of stuff. And so which nice. is nice. Yeah, it's nice and it's kind of cool. And it is one of those things where you do grow up listening to those bands, especially like, yeah, yeah, they're in their heyday and just like now they're at that level where they just they've got their their fan base that they can just you know they can just do stadiums when they want it. Oh yeah, and, um, and they can really release anything too, and people dig yeah. it. Exactly, like their fans are crazy. Um, so yeah, yeah, that's kind of one of those. It's like a bit of like a weird one. Like Dave walked past us um, after we sound. Che- oh, after we had played, and we we're walking sort of like at the stadium in the car park thing underneath the, the stalls and that. And yeah, he's just like, yeah, rockers. And I'm like, what do you say to that? You know, he'd already like. Fully overpowered us just by like looking at us. That's awesome. I rem- I met him once like back at a festival like years and years and years ago, and I remember talking to him for a minute. And I remember I remember he said the word bitchin' like ten times. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty good. Um, Burke Reed always says bitchin'. Yeah, <laughs> which is right. so good. I love it. So um, needs to be used more these days. Yeah, bring it back. I mean, Burke's probably already doing a good job he's of bringing a, it back. He's an advocate for it. He's like, <laughs> yes, bitching. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about working with Burke. So you've um, he's produced two albums of yours now. Yeah, two. Um, so when we sort of got started on Black Rat, um, and we were picking who we wanted to do the record, I think his name came up. Because Johan, who runs IOU, was like, well, what do you think about Burke Reed? And I was like, oh, you know, I, I knew who he was through because of Girling, and I um, I sort of knew a few artists that he had worked with and I and yeah. I really liked his records. And he was like, Johan's like, you should just maybe just go and have a meet-up, like go for a beer with him. I was like, yeah, for sure. I'm always up to do that. Um, and then so did I went, you have a million beers? Yeah. <laughs> Like I went down and I met, and met him at the Rocks in um, Sydney at this pub called the uh, Lord Nelson, which they is like this famous old pub. And yeah, we had a couple of pints and got talking. And I was like, this "Dude is like my soulmate." <laughs> you know, we we just got we just got along really really well. And since then, and I think he you know he's like that with so many like people always will say, "I love Burke." It's just because he's such yeah. a he'll give he's you he'll talk dude. to you yeah and. We both loved like similar music and he had heaps to say about music and he was really into it. And I was like, man, this guy's awesome. So I said to Simon, you know, you should really meet him. He's such an awesome dude. I think he'd be good to do the record. And he seemed excited about doing it, mm. which is the main thing because we had gone through a few different people. Like in the UK, we sort of, we had this guy lined up to, to do some recording with us and he just bailed on us like the day before oh. or yeah, oh, it was no. super, super weird. Um, he was all of a sudden, he was like, oh, no, I, I can't do it. Like, because it, he, we were sort of like, we want to record this song. He was like, oh, actually, I like this song better. I'm like, no, no, we want to just do this is the song. This is the one we're going to do. Like, you know, maybe we can sort of, you can bring your your flavor to it. And, and then he just all of a sudden went real weird on us and real cold. And I was like, oh, well, he mustn't have been that into it. Um, yeah. And then luckily... Andy Savers, uh, who's a producer in London, he ended up picking up the track last minute, and he was like, "I'm into it. I'll do. I'll do a track with you guys. I'll book out a place on Sunday, um, and we'll just do it." And we went and recorded with him, and that was really awesome. But you know, we just didn't want to go back to the UK to record again, so we wanted yeah. someone in Australia. And yeah, Burke was there, and he was available, and we sort of 
I don't know. We had it was like there's many different moments that led up to it, but essentially we were sending him so many demos and that, and then we had he was like, right, we're going to need a lot of pre-production for you guys because you've never really done pre-production before on a record, and yeah, you know, and I think the first record we tried to do some pre-production with Richard Pike, and we yeah. were just like, we were like, nah, man. <laughs> like we've been playing these songs <laughs> for four years. Oh, like, so we, you didn't? You weren't receptive to comments? Yeah, or? we weren't. Yeah, yeah we weren't going to change anything. And he he was he was like, oh god, you guys. And anyway, <laughs> so we just had to go with what we what we went with, and we did change a few things. But we kind of opened up a lot more with Burke because we hadn't been playing the songs live, yeah. so they weren't in ground. We were kind of a bit more open to changing things. Um, you know, and going on to this record that we just have just done with him, we were completely open. I was like, mate, we can change whatever. As long as it's going to be better, then that's fine. Yeah, um, that's awesome. Yeah, so it was it was really good learning experience, like going with Burke that first time. And what happened with is Scott Horscroft, had, who's really good friends with Burke, had bought the studio, The Grove, and he was just moving in and cleaning it all up. And we were sleeping in the barn, and um, which is like a little mixing studio. You can kind of rehearse in there as well. And Burke was in the house, and it just became this ten-day party out there. <laughs> it was like honestly, it was like schoolies. It was, <laughs> <laughs> and the, every day we were like in there, just trying to get through these songs, trying to find tempos. Burke would be. Um, Burke had the like this drum sort of machine thing on his phone, this drum app. He just plugged it into his orange amp, turned it, everything up to like to 10 and <laughs> and just had a kick and snare together at whatever the BPM was. So it was just like kind of real militant, almost Nazi vibe of just like all through and like all day. And we would, he's like, again, and then you just see him like doze off to sleep on the couch while we were trying to play this song with this crazy <laughs> military beat going. <laughs> it was, um, yeah. Wow, it was that a, sounds really, <laughs> yeah. I don't and know then, how that sounds. That sounds hard. <laughs> it, it, yeah, it was pretty interesting. Like, you know, especially for us where we don't usually play to backing tracks or anything or, you know, yeah. in a studio we can go to a click, but that's a little bit different than yeah. just having a speaker blaring at you. Yeah. So anyway. And then, you know, it gets to sort of five o'clock, six o'clock and dinner would come round, and then all of a sudden Burke would be like, anyone want a margarita or a cocktail? And, it, and then oh, it would start so and, then it, and then it would just be on all the way until about <laughs> two, three in the morning. And were and you getting this, any work done in that time? Yeah, in the we were. Hour? Oh, not in the cocktail hour. We were just sitting in the <laughs> spa bath drink, <laughs> drinking VB. That's great. So anyway, <laughs> that was kind of how like our love sort of. For each everyone, like between the, yeah. everyone and the group, really blossomed, and we all became good mates. And did Burke engineer it as well, or did he produce it only? He engineered it as well. Yeah, so it's good to see him watch, watch him do that stuff. Did um did Richard Pike engineer as well? Yeah, so he engineered with alongside Neil Coombe, who owned the studio. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, and that, I mean, it was good too. We were just like so fresh to the idea of a producer. Yeah. It was such a weird thing for it's us. It's tough. The first, the first one's always the hardest. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, and now you kind of know where you – it's like knowing your place in the studio. <laughs> yeah, and you yeah. And knowing when to voice up and when to sort of just sit back and wait and see what happens and then maybe yeah, yeah, talk yeah, up totally. afterwards because 
Yeah. You know, and that's where we're kind of at now, especially like working with Burke over two albums. We can say anything we want to each other. Um, and, and yeah, it's, it's a sort of like we, if, I, if I've got something to say, I'll say it. But I, and I'm totally happy for him to come back at me and say, no, 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 we'll do it this way. And then we can all argue for like five minutes and then go, all right, let's all do, let's do it the way we all want to do it and see which one sounds the best. And that's what we did a few yeah. times. And in the end, you know, everyone gets a go and, and there'll be things that Burke would be like, oh, I'm so glad you said to do that. And I'd be like, oh, I'm so glad that you said to do that. And yeah, it'll sort Aww. of. Yeah, so it's nice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's good not to take things personally. <clears throat> I think that's a really big lesson that you learn like after the after the first album in particular, you kind of cuz I remember like recording and and if someone would suggest something, I would immediately feel threatened or, you know, like, "Well, what's wrong with the way I'm doing it?" Um Yeah, totally. And then when when you when you do a few more projects, you realize, oh, it's actually just everyone has their own ideas and sometimes their ideas are better than your ideas and that's great. You want the song to stand up to live on past what you will ever do and your ego and whatever. So yeah. it is one of those things you got to learn. Um Yeah. Ego is so complicated. Yeah. <laughs> it's like yeah. such a complicated thing to navigate in music. Oh, totally. I mean, we're pretty I feel like we're pretty open these days about stuff, but at the same time, you know, I'll, I'll, at least I'll always put my voice forward of what I think would be best, but I'm yeah. totally happy to hear other people's ideas. Like, because That's great. Yeah, I, yeah, I can't be bothered arguing. You spend more time arguing. It's like, let's just listen to both sides of it and then we can work it True, out. True, yeah. That's um, right. Yeah. Hey, let's go back to, um, so you guys are from Bundaberg originally. Mm. Um, can you tell me about like, were you surrounded by music when you grew up? Did you have a musical household and how you met Simon and, you know, get take me back to like the early days? Well, I didn't really have a musical household to be honest. I'm the only, like my mum and dad don't play music at all. Um, my stepdad, who I grew up with, um, he really liked country music, which I didn't like. So I, would ha- <laughs> I was sort of a bit surrounded when I was out the back and he was in the shed and I could hear like some country and some of it I enjoyed, some of it, most of it I hated. Um, but, <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's, I really like old, old country. I think that's, it's quite beautiful. Yeah. But anything that's new is, and like country pop is just awful. Um, yeah. <laughs> so I didn't, and in terms of my mom, she just listened to whatever. You know, Chris Isaac. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so they were like music fans, but not necessarily like musicians. Yeah, yeah. You know, like the yeah. con- the concert they'd go to is like a John Fogerty concert, which you know, oh, that, yeah. that's pretty that's awesome. Great though. Yeah. I, I, I love Credence, but you know, um, yeah. So I didn't really, but I th- I think you know my love for music. It I was in grade eight, and. I really wanted an acoustic guitar. And so my dad, he lived on the Gold Coast and I'd go visit him, you know, on Christmas and or like every school holidays. And I said, I really want, what I want is an acoustic guitar to learn guitar. And so he bought me one, like just a shitty three, $300, $200 guitar or whatever. And I used to go with him and he had a, like a carpet sort of job that he it was his own business. And he'd go and work at um, like just, 
go and do people's carpets at their houses and stuff. And I'd never want to go and hang out in some random person's house. So I just sit in the car and I just take my guitar and I just sit there and just play guitar all day until my fingers were like really sore and kind of green from the strings <laughs> the and calluses. stuff. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and um, what, what were you playing? Like, did you know any chords? No, I just started, learn- I just started teaching myself from the, I never had a lesson. I just sort of got on it and just like, okay, how do I make something that sounds good? And that's where I started. But yeah, I mean, you know, I used to, I used to listen to Triple J when I was really young because my dad liked it. Um, so, you know, back then it was kind of like, it, it was like really sort of a lot of indie stuff. And then my dad had really random stuff like Pink Floyd cassettes and Ice House cassettes and stuff. And so I just listened, listened to that sort of stuff on a Walkman and play guitar and sit in the car. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> just sit by myself. Right, kind of. that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Thinking back to it, it was pretty sad. But, <laughs> yeah. oh. <laughs> but my, I had a couple of friends who pl- started playing guitar around the same time. Maybe like one of my best friends, he started playing guitar about six months ahead of me and his brother had pl- played guitar. They, they were kind of into metal as well. And um, so his brother had electric guitar and guitars and my friend got an acoustic. And so his brother would teach him and then he would teach me some stuff. You know, I think the first song I actually learned was Come As You Are. You know, I think that was my first song too. Yeah, it's a classic. Because it's so easy. <laughs> yeah, it's so easy. <laughs> um, but right. yeah, it was um, yeah, it was, it was one of those things I just sort of got passed down music. For, like I didn't, I'm the oldest of my family, so I just got passed music. How many siblings? I got three sisters and one of them does play guitar as well, the youngest. But um, oh, cool. yeah, she sort of played for a while and then stopped and I really wish she'd keep going because she's actually got a really great singing voice and she can play well as well. I was like, well, but you know, maybe you can't pick it up again later. Yeah. You can't really force people into this stuff. I always said, you've got to be pretty obsessed with music to do it. Like you have to, yeah, it has to be all you think about. It's, I guess like, like anything, you know, if you're a stockbroker, pretty much all you think about is that. Yeah. You have to be consumed for sure. Yeah. So um so what was your when did you start playing in a in a band did you have did you have bands back then when you were yeah teenager? yeah I had a I had a just like a band that with a bunch of a couple of friends from school and we just played covers like vines covers and hives what was your band name <laughs> it was, <it> was sloth <laughs> it's a really hard word to say <laughs> it was sloth speed. Sloth speed. <laughs> like a sloth, like the animal and the speed yeah. of a sloth, sloth speed. That's great. <laughs> Normally when I ask that question, it's something dick related. Like so, it's uh, always like some horrible like dick reference. No, we had this really weird obsession with sloths at school. And I don't know, oh, my, fr- my friend was Way more like, innocent. <laughs> <laughs> and we wrote, we wrote like a bunch of songs and we did like a CD, like we recorded a CD at my friend's house where we literally hung, uh, I guess it would be the equivalent of an SM58 over a fan on the ceiling <laughs> and just played with all the speakers facing it, including the vocal <laughs> mic and just <laughs> did every, like everything into that one microphone in one go. And we thought it was, Gross. we thought it was great. We were like, this is <laughs> awesome. I can't believe we recorded something. Send it to the radio. <laughs> yeah. We were so naive to anything of in terms of music there because in ter- there was no bands would really come through. 
occasionally you get like a sort of uh, punk band come through. I think one dollar short, you know, or oh yeah, or, or like church bands would come through and play at the school, and um, that you know they were just like rock bands, but they sort of because I went to a Catholic school, there was they'd just go and play all these Catholic schools or Christian schools or whatever. And but yeah. you know when you're a kid, you were just like this is awesome. I can't believe I get to see <laughs> live music. That's not that's not a cover. It's like their own songs. So we were always like yeah, super cool. psyched on anything that came through town, but it wasn't much. I think I saw the Super Jesus, you know, things like that that came through. Um, yeah. fr- Friends of Rom came through, went to that. We played at like a roller skating rink. Oh, uh, that sounds awesome. Yeah, it was it was pretty good. But yeah, and then the other I think about grade eleven. I started going down to Livid and Big Day Out and essentially you'd have to get up at about four in the morning or be at this random old grandma's house at four because her and her husband owned some bus company where they'd have <laughs> send two 22-seaters down to Brisbane or Gold Coast and you'd hop oh. on at four o'clock and you'd get there for 11 o'clock and you'd go into the wow. festival and you'd just watch music all day, get sweaty, jump around. Um, this is before I, I needed to have a beer to watch music, which is essentially <laughs> <laughs> that's my life now. Um, and and then you get back on the bus covered in sweat, cold, and ride the bus all the way back to Bundaberg five hours. And we do that wow. for Livid and for Big Day Out. We're just so starved of music there. And, wow. Uh, what yes. a journey. <laughs> well, it was just... <laughs> You know, that was like five years of my life of just just all I wanted to do was be in a band. And, you know, we had this band at school, but we just played at house parties. And I think I actually played a couple of house parties at Simon's house because he went to a different school to, to me. So that's kind right. of how Simon and I, that would lead into how Simon and I met. We, um, you know, we, we, we just partied together on the, on the weekends and he, he had some pretty cool house parties over the years and his mum was cool with people drinking, so... We'd play in the shed, do like a, you know, half an hour set, some covers and stuff. And it was really fun. There's like, there's some photos somewhere of like me playing in a, sh- a garage, that <laughs> wearing some sort of ridiculous <laughs> Nirvana shirt. With, you I'd know, love to see that. Yeah. <laughs> Very funny. <laughs> Short hair, big baggy blue jeans. So at what point did you and Simon decide to do your own thing? Well, I got to Brisbane and joined an indie band that, uh, it was a bunch of like some. It was a guy I met at university, and he had a band from high school that were getting back together. They changed their name. Did you go to uni at, at in Brisbane? Yeah, I went to uni in Brisbane. So I went to ACU when I first got there, and then I changed to QT. But at ACU, I met um, my friend Steve, and he played drums in the band. He was like, "Do you want to play guitar in the band?" I was like, "Yeah, that's, of course, I'd love to." And I went and met up with his school buddies, which is kind of funny and awkward because, you know, I'm just like a country boy and there's like these big city <laughs> Brisbane folk with who are like wearing like cool skinny jeans and <laughs> black ties and white shirts <laughs> out to Rick's. But, um, <laughs> but they were actually like super lovely people and um, we got along really, really well and I went and had a rehearsal with them and um, yeah, it sort of got the band going. And we just played and we just played around Brisbane for like, Two years. We never, never really left, but we played, you know, everywhere from Ricks to Six Ten and sort of yeah. Fat Louis, anywhere that we could sort of get a show. But we didn't, we didn't kind of overplay. We just sort of, and the crowds were getting pretty decent. Um, but then it sort what of. What was the name of that band? 
That was called Modern Lies. Oh yeah, I remember that was it was such a good time in Brisbane music when six ten was around, don't you yeah. think? Like it was yeah. was such a good place to go and everyone could like BYO alcohol and Oh it was and awesome. It was like a cool vibe in there and there were yeah. loads of bands every weekend and I guess I, I was probably you and I were probably both the age where you just wanted to go out all the time. Like Thursday, Friday, oh. Saturday was definitely like all at six ten. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah, it was great. It was a really great year that, that when that was, you know, at its prime. And I, I you know, I really loved um playing in that band. It was it was fun. And uh but at the same time, I think after about a year and a half, I, I wanted to do because it was quite like indie stuff and you know, I'd always been into rock bands and I grew up loving sort of bands like Muse and She Had and these sort of like new style rock bands from the early 2000s um, and like the Vines and stuff. And I really, we really wanted to do something a bit heavier. Um, so Simon and I got together with um, Simon's housemate and like mate he went to uni with um, who played drums. He was a really great drummer and we sort of got this band together, which was Denzel. Um, which is where, like, where we got our name from, DZ, you know. And so, yeah, we had that band going for like a year and a half and we were just about to record an EP. We had some had some demos done and everything and we were about to record an EP and when we were, when had a, a meeting with the guy who's going to record the EP and like, sort of produce it and stuff and, and Nathan, who is a drummer, he's just, he just turns and just goes, guys, I don't think I can do the EP. And we're like, what? And he goes, yeah, I'm moving to France. <laughs> I'm like, what? Oh, no. <laughs> and so Simon and I were just completely like dumbfounded of why he would be just bringing this up now. But yeah, he, yeah. he ended up moving out to the country in France. So wow. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty, um, it was pretty funny that that happened. But I remember Simon and I walk, were walking because we lived together at the time. We were walking home from the bus and just being like, wow, what are we going to do? Like we've sort of been writing these songs. And at that time, Simon and I, because Nath worked a fair bit. So Simon, he was learning drums and we had a little jam room in our house and we decided that, oh, yeah, let's um, let's just keep doing what like this two-piece thing was sort of that we were doing. And um you know, and we'll call it DZ because that's what we call Denzel, but it's just the two of us. And um, oh, so, yeah, we, we just, that's where it all sort of started. And then we, from there, we just wrote every day. I think we were both working jobs by then um, out of uni and both working for government. And we just get home from work, you know, as soon as possible and just get in there and jam for like two, three hours and have dinner and stuff. And just, we just wrote, wrote, wrote until we, you know, had a bunch of songs that we were happy with and then started trying right. trying to record them we always had issues recording though like we always had like the 002 with overheat because we were in like you know we're doing everything in a bedroom and <laughs> yeah. our files get corrupted and have clicks all through oh, them no. it's, you know, it's just a classic <laughs> D, classic dz thing yeah <laughs> <laughs> um i was talking to uh chatting with brent yesterday who's also known as spod um, yeah, and I said I was going to interview you, and I was like, "Do you know what DZ stands for?" And he said it stood for Dick Zaps. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes we say disgruntled zombie, or you know. Oh yeah, that's pretty good. <laughs> I was but actually yeah. really hoping it stood for Dick Zaps. Dick Zap, <laughs> nah, we never had the sort of Dick name going on. 
That might be when we get older and we just don't give a yeah. shit anymore. It's like, just call Then ourselves. you'll be dick zaps. Yeah, dick zap and the <laughs> dick hole junkies or something. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> um, so, okay, so can can we talk about like songwriting for a little mm-hmm. bit? So what, do you write on tour? Because I feel like uh, you're on tour a lot. No, we don't. We're really bad at it. Um, we wish we could, but in, unfortunately, touring is exhausting, and the last thing you want to do is kind of yeah. s- stop doing anything like Work, that. Working more, yeah. Yeah, I also, know I find you, it really hard too. All, all my guitars are sitting in the back of a van usually, and I don't, you know, they're all yeah. locked up in cases underneath stuff, and yeah, it's just one of those things. You just, and then you get home from a show, and you just pass out, and then you get up, and you sit in a van. I don't mind like working if I've got some stuff where I recorded and, and sort of like chopping it up and editing and doing that sort of stuff and trying to work out stuff that way. But, you know, it's too hard. You can't find a place by yourself to sing. So, yeah, I don't really. Yeah, and so, yeah. And with touring, like recently we sort of started saying, oh, let's try and keep it to like three, four weeks so we can come home, see our, our families and stuff and our partners and, and then we can and we can maybe, you know, then we can get fresh. And then I feel like after I do about three, four weeks, I'm pretty, pretty done. And I want a week off at least. Yeah. Um, and sure. in that week, I'm, I'm super productive in terms of writing. I'll be just like, oh, I've got so many ideas and there's no one around me. Let's write, let's write. And, yeah. I'll, just, and I'll write like a bunch of songs. So that's kind that's of the cool. way, yeah, that's kind of the way it works in terms of writing. We live in different cities. So in terms of writing, like I just write stuff at home and then I'll send him stuff and he'll add drums to it at home and then he'll send the drums back and it's kind of like we we work remotely as it is. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to ask how how you go with collaborating in different cities. Like do you do you always do it via email or do you get together in a practice space and do it? Yeah, sometimes? we do we do both. So we'll we'll do like um we'll do like a couple of days in a rehearsal room and maybe a song will come out of it. You know, it depends Sometimes it's two, three, sometimes it's one, sometimes it's zero. Yeah. Um, but then I'll go home and then I'll write something completely different. You know, it's just, yeah, it really depends. But we do both. We, it, I think it's important for us as a rock band, a rock band to, um, you know, really get in there and make some noise. Cause yeah, it, for sure. You know, you get really stuck on just like using a completely like quantized loop and playing everything really sort of super straighty 180 and... I think it's important to get in there and sort of fuck around a little bit and figure out things. But at the same time, it's nice to not do that all the time and to have your own space to work parts out. Do you ever use um, like synths or any any other sort of like uh, computer sounds or, or do you just mainly stick to guitar and drums? I was like, I, I have a synth that I haven't used in a while, but uh, which I do tend to write on sometimes and sometimes I'll just use the keyboard on the laptop to try and yeah. find some vocal melodies or like maybe add something that's just kind of like weird just as an idea to a demo and be like you know we could we could do this and maybe we can work out how to do something cool like this on a guitar mm. um, but we've put synth in songs before I think this like Bloody Lovely doesn't have any synth on it but um, the two records before has synth on them um, but I was yeah, like that. Is, does that song "Fixations" have a synth on it? I was listening to that the other day, or it might just be a guitar pedal. I'm not yeah, sure. that's just a guitar pedal. It's a 
Boss Slicer. Oh, right. Yeah, I thought it might be like one of those arpeggiator pedals or something. Yeah, it's well, I guess it kind of is like an arpeggiator, but instead of actually arpeggiating a note it um, or from a note, it just slices uh, into sections, I guess, is the best yeah, way right. to put it, yeah, yeah. to a certain BPM. And it's a really great pedal. Um, it's just frustrating because it's uh, quite big and also... You like to get it to work properly in terms of a live or, or in a studio, you can run a MIDI clock into it, but live it can be a bit hard to keep in time if you've got something slow, which is why we never played that song Dumb It Down live because it was just too hard to keep it in time and play yeah. and sing and I have to sit there tap tempoing it all the time. Um, yeah, maybe we'd be better at it now, but <laughs> back then it was <laughs> we, we found it really, really hard to do because... Simon, you know, I go over to his, he's just using a monitor. Like I use in-ears live and stuff, but I go over to his monitor and sometimes I'm like, the dude can't hear anything. <laughs> like it's yeah, pretty, it's so hard. It's pretty so whack hard. sound over there, but, um, <laughs> you know, it's just symbols. Yeah. <laughs> what does your pedal board look like at the moment? Um, it's pretty similar to what it's been the last few years. I kind of... St- sort of started going away a little bit from just having tons of wacky pedals on there for a live set. I just, and because we've got another guitarist who plays live with us now. Yeah. I, um, that must change things a bit. Yeah. And I kind of made my pedal board more just like a meaty bass guitar combo pedal board with a few extra things like a delay. And there's like a couple of synth pedals on there that I, I need to use for songs. And then sort of some of the newer stuff, you know, I've got like this, um, the Mel 9 pedal by Electro Harmonics, yeah. which is like a Mellotron. They're great. And yeah, it's cool. And I can't, like a combo with the Zvex Lo-Fi Junkie, which kind of gives it this weird warping chorus effect. Lo-Fi is it makes it sort of noisy. So, and I put those board, those two pedals on Lockie's board so that he can do like the kind of string sounds and these like... I wanted these old, old Western style, like, you know, like at the start of, I think it's at the start of There Will Be Blood and it's oh, just yeah. that synth. That's and beautiful. it's sort of like that really sort of ominous like ominous kind of, yeah. Yeah, and it warps out of, t- out of pitch a little bit. Yeah. And I really wanted that sort of sound in some of the songs and you can hear it on like the start of, I think of um, Bad Influence. There's like this kind of, I just ringed out a couple of notes and sort of warps a little bit and I really like that. So, yeah, Lockie's got that sort of stuff on his board so he can do that. Um, but, you know, I've just got a my bass line is just kind of a POG, POG 2 into a um, into a metal muff, which is a electro harmonic, uh, is distortion, but I use the distortion at zero and it's actually a really great, distortion pedal at zero okay. once you go past past zero it kind of starts getting into metal okay <laughs> but it's actually just it's like kind of at that it's like as at zero it is as far as i want it to be yeah um but there's That's so many perfect. other pedals i've used i've used they just sort of they lose so many frequencies when you ha- add distortion to bass but for some reason this pedal doesn't it's yeah, still right. super punchy and it keeps all the mid-range and stuff um which is really good and yeah, and then I, I just use like a couple of DIs as well for my bass line. Yeah. So there's a pre and a post and, you know, the pre is EQ'd and it's got like a speaker sim on it and all that sort of stuff. And that's kind of just how I've just over the years just kept getting, uh, trying to make this um, 
bass sound as sort of fat, subby as I can with a guitar without, you know, I, I actually, I'm not that into bass guitar set, like that kind of high bass guitar. I love a big, fat, low bass guitar that's mm. almost like a, a sub synth. That's what I like in in um, in in punk rock, you know, even the, one of my favourite bands, Hot Snakes, that's what their bass sounds like and I love it. Yeah. Have you ever thought about getting a bass player or are you just sort of against the whole principle? Uh, not against it. It's just another person that we'd have to pay for to yeah. bring on tour. <laughs> <laughs> what, what about, do you feel as though you're always chasing what you sound like live on record? Like, do you feel like you're, you're trying to capture that energy that, that you have? Because you're such a great live band. Do you find it hard to then capture that sound when you try and record? Well, that was kind of our goal with Bloody Lovely was to, to get more of that. But in the same breath, I don't ever want to have the uh, – it's like I don't – we don't want it to sound exactly like the live show because the live show is the live show and it's blistering and it's offensive and it's in your face. But if you had that on record, then it all of a sudden it might just wear your ears out a little bit and then yeah. you don't have it as a repeat listen. Like I want something on record that sort of – you can walk down the street to and you're not like, oh, my ears hurt or like, oh, I'm worn out by it. Or yeah. I can, you can chill chill at the beach and listen to it or you can ride the bus to work or whatever. Or you can have it on at a party, you know, in the background and it's not like, oh, what's this? You know, you, oh, that's the sort of happy medium that – and I think Burke really helped us sort of come across that thing. He was like, you know, they're two different beasts. Yeah. And um, so, we, you know, on Bloody Lovely we try to get more towards a life – sound but even then everything like for us it's always so different yeah you definitely do a lot of screaming live do you find it really hard to preserve your voice when you're on long tours well that's why i've got Lockie now i've got yeah, him right. there to scream <laughs> he, he does all he's the, my little yeah. scream boy yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> scream minion um yeah no look off <laughs> some some singing teacher is probably going to like hate me if they ever listen to this, but I've got like a little technique where I kind of scream quietly <laughs> and it's just sort of like, it's not really like a loud scream. And I was doing a the radio interview with Triple J today and they were talking about the scream at the start of Shred for Summer and I was like, well, I did that in my bedroom just on a, you know, on the same thing I'm recording this with on GarageBand. And yeah. that whole, the whole intro to Shred for Summer is all, that's all done just it's all from the demo. And I was like, I really like this the intro to this and I sort of wrote it because I thought it needed something and then I wanted it to go f- a little bit from like this lo-fi garage band demo and then yeah. this kind of lo-fi scream and then when the guitars and drums kick in all of a sudden it's like oh it's it's hi-fi now that's so good I fucking love it when bands do that when you, you kind of like turn up your stereo it makes you turn it up and then it's like totally yeah, yeah. in your face yeah <laughs> <laughs> well you know I there's a there's a bunch of different um demos all through that record, all through the new record. And, um, yeah, it was just bits and pieces. I was like, this would be cool. And and then I did sort of like these little edits where I just chopped up some demos that kind of never made the cut or just super, way too weird or whatever <laughs> and just like got little bits of the songs and just put them together as this kind of like 20-second, 30-second taster of stuff that was made that never never made it as just just so it wasn't just song 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 finish yeah. you know it was kind of there's other little bits and pieces going on that people might pick up on and 
you know, maybe those songs will become something at some point and people are like, oh, I remember hearing like a really weird version of that, you know, in before this song or after this song on Bloody Lovely. Yeah, that's cool. I um I normally during these podcasts I um I sort of I say what my first memory of of my guest is and I have two distinct memories of um of seeing you and Simon. I remember the the first time I saw you guys play you had a really epic strobe light that that <laughs> would just blind the whole crowd. <laughs> did, yeah. Did Sorry. You, <laughs> when did you ditch the strobe light? Um well, it was more, I guess, once we started getting proper lighting or there was <laughs> playing venue, venues that had proper lighting. Yeah, right. Essentially, we, we, were, we were just like, we, we wanted lighting, but we could only get a strobe. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's very effective. <laughs> it's effective for a while. And I think at the time it was kind of like, well, these guys <laughs> are just like making noise with a strobe light going. It was cool. It was good for a while. But, yeah, I think, you know, you sort of get rid of that stuff after a while. You kind of. Oh, now we, you know, when we do a proper show, we can hire in a, a few strobes, and yeah, and it's it's, a, it's even it's even more crazy, but yeah. only for a brief second. Use it not, sparingly. We're not sort of inducing. <laughs> I don't think I knew anything about like someone, you know, maybe having issues with a strobe <laughs> getting s- smashed in their face. Yeah, but, I mean, I don't even I, I, have epilepsy, and I was like close to having some kind of visceral reaction <laughs> yeah well we we rehearsed with it on oh, so that wow. we knew how to play <laughs> <laughs> so i knew that's how that was my sort of epileptic test i guess for a while there but nowadays it's i i'm like i get kind of annoyed if the lighting engineer keeps dropping all the lights out i know it's effective but like I can't see if it goes to complete darkness. I, oh, yeah, I don't know where the, the and then we hit a, a bung note and it's like oh so hard <laughs> to get back. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I <laughs> I've totally had that happen to me too. It's mm. hard with keyboards too. <laughs> if you have to program like analog synths, it's really hard to program in the dark. <laughs> oh, I could imagine. <laughs> I could imagine. Um, the mm. other. Um, the other memory I have of you guys is seeing you guys DJ in Brisbane. I remember one of the first songs you guys played was um, Simon Says by Farrah Munch or Farrah Monk. I don't oh, know yeah. how to say his name. And that's, that yeah. was always like my go-to DJ song and I was like, yes, Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, It's a up. good one. Yeah, it's so good. Yeah, it's so awesome. <laughs> yeah, see, I love doing... Um, I love doing hip hop DJ sets, and, I, and the, the majority of the hip hop stuff I have is either really new, or like from the nineties. Yeah. So, <laughs> because I just had all this hip hop from the nineties on my laptop, and I was like, right, I put that in record box, and that's going to be my DJ set now. Yeah. Um, but you know, it was yeah. I think we're going to do these DJ sets on the weekend for the pop up bar oh, things. Oh, great. Do it. And so the majority of the day of the evening is going to be. Um, like just rock and roll tunes, like a playlist with our, our album in it yeah. so people can hear songs sort of mixed in there. And then we're going to do a DJ set. And I was like, let's just do like a hip-hop DJ set or something, not rock and roll because it it can't be just the same thing. It would just be weird. But if we can do something super party, then that would be fun. And, you know, everyone loves to party to hip-hop. Totally. And especially like Simon Says, get the fuck up. Girls rub on your titties. <laughs> you can't really go wrong. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. You listen to those hip, <laughs> those hip hop songs are pretty offensive, aren't they? So terrible. It's great. But I also remember um, the other song you played. You played the Ratatat remix of "Party and Bullshit" by Biggie. Yeah. And I remember yeah, yeah. thinking like, 
I, I don't know, like I don't think at that point I really knew anyone that had like downloaded those Ratatat remix albums and oh, they're I, amazing. I remember being really excited that you guys were like on the same wavelength as me. Um, yeah, well, we're huge yeah. Ratatat fans and yeah, so Simon, he he had found those 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 mix, oh, those volume excellent. mixes or whatever. Yeah, they're so, so cool. Like it's, it's one of those things, I guess so many people would have been like, when I know that Ratatat grew up listening to hip hop and, you know, they're right into it um but i reckon so many people have been like oh man your songs would be so cool with a rapper on it and they yes. must get so sick of it yeah. so they're just like fuck this just i'm gonna, gonna put biggie and kanye <laughs> and i'm gonna yeah nas everyone's gonna be yeah. on this so tell tell me a little bit about these pop-up things that are happening well essentially because we're not touring until may or april may we were like we want to just launch the the album with a bit of a bang. So, you know, the whole aesthetic of the record is this kind of fake dive bar called Bloody Lovely. We did the album cover with sort of we, we dressed up a bar in Sydney to look like it's our own bar and we're sitting out the front of it. And, um, yeah, so we, we kind of had the idea that we could do like some bar takeovers um, while we're on the weekend of release and, you know, Get people down there, and I guess because we're, we're gonna do, we're gonna sell some limited edition merch, oh, like cool. some vinyl and stuff. There. And I was saying the other day, I was like, "This is totally like an Avon party. <laughs> like we're getting people over, getting them drunk, and going, hey, <laughs> you should buy this. You know, <laughs> it's a good way to get your your numbers up in the first week. Totally. That's whose idea was that? That's a great idea. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it's really hard to sell records these days, so you're kind of doing anything you can. Will you be making drinks? Well, we can we can pour some beers in um in in the, in Queensland in Brisbane, right? Because um, we have our RSA there, but in Sydney and Melbourne, we can't do any oh. any any drink pouring. That's all right. We'll, we'll just do some drink drinking. <laughs> we don't know really what to expect, um, but the label and stuff are they're like right behind it, and we teamed up with Young Henrys, who we did a beer with a few a couple of years back. Yeah. And um they re rebatched like redid the the batch of the brew or whatever and um so we're gonna have that that Pilsner that we sort of did with them on tap and it's just like, you know, it's one of those things. And it's I mean essentially we're going on t- a drinking tour. Perfect. Like, you know, people go on like, oh yeah, I've got a couple of shows this week. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, we a couple of bars. <laughs> just gonna fly bar to bar. It's pretty ridiculous. And we've been sort of, we've been sort of drinking oh, quite a bit like recently, and I'm just like, <laughs> I just can't wait for a week off drinking, and then this comes up where it's like, you have to go on a three day yeah. bender and go and talk to people <laughs> and DJ. I know it'll be fun, but at the same time, I just kind of want to go for a, a hike or something. <laughs> Your liver's already hurting thinking about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. It, it hates me sometimes. <laughs> Do you ever write when you're wasted? Can you write and play live drunk? Oh, uh, we can definitely play drunk. We, uh, I think we learned that a long time ago. Yeah. Definitely cannot play on any other substances, but definitely <laughs> can play on alcohol. Um, how, did, how did you find out you can't play on any other substances? <laughs> <laughs> uh, we played the show in Byron Bay and someone gave us something before the show and it was just awful. Oh, like, no. It was really bad, yeah. <laughs> Could so you anyway. play at all? Um. It was just super sloppy, you know, and like my hands just didn't go as fast as my brain was. <laughs> so, yeah. 
That's a good lesson learned, learned, learned though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey, um, speaking of uh, funny stories, so I ask all my guests the same question at the end of each podcast, which is tell me your strangest or worst uh, show story or just the strangest thing that's happened to you because you play music. Yep. So please tell me your story. Okay, so we've played tons of bad shows, like (laughs) so many floorboard shows. And one of those was in New York City with our girlfriends were there. And they were the only people watching and the sound person. And at the end of the show, they were like, so you guys need, a, like, oh, it's 40 bucks for the sound person. Oh. And so we had to go and get cash out and give it to them. <laughs> but that's not the story. That's just a bad story. Yeah, that's pretty <laughs> <bad>. <laughs> That's pretty sad. It was, it was pretty sad. <laughs> um, so it was the first show. So after... We put out Black Rat. We had to get someone else to play guitar with us. And we went through it a few different guitarists. Like we played South By and we got Cicero from Jungle Giants up to play Gina Works of Hearts with us just to play the little lead bit. Yeah. And then we had um, Dion who plays in Palms. He came and played with us for a few shows. And when we did the tour with Palms, he would jump up and play our set with us. And then we had our friend Mitch um, who, you know, never been in a band before but could play guitar and he joined us and he actually quit his job. He was like over his job and he was like, oh, I want to come on tour. Like, yeah, we're going to go six months over in Europe. You should come with us. And so he did. But that six months was enough for him. So he left. <laughs> so then we wanted to like, all right, well, we need we need someone else. And I've been friends with Lockie since back in years ago because his band, Damn Terran, we had toured together with Children Collide. Yeah. And he was always at me, like talking to me online and going, oh, you know, if you ever need a guitarist, mate, like, you know, I'm here. And I was like, well, it's time to step up to the plate, dude. This is it. And he's like, oh, yeah. I was like, so we're going to play Falls in Byron. He's like, yeah. And I was like, but Mitch is going to do that one as his last show. And he's like, oh, okay. And I was like, and then you're going to do the show in St Kilda. And what's the the ESPY at the ESPY yeah. in St, St Kilda? And he's like, oh, I fucking hate St Kilda. But yeah, all right. Because he just, he thinks it doesn't, it's not a part of Melbourne. But even though it's a <laughs> suburb of Melbourne, he hates it. Okay. Anyway. So we went and played Falls. It was amazing. And we fly the next day, get on a flight, down to Melbourne. All right, all right, Lucky, you, you ready to do this? He had had, he'd been to a couple of shows to watch how Mitch did it and he's learnt the songs. Yeah. And so we had like maybe a seven o'clock slot that night on like the small stage in one of the rooms there. And I think it was the second song. This guy hops up, takes off all his clothes. <gasps> Like r- shoes, undies, shirt, everything, completely <laughs> stark naked. No, nobody's into it. Not the crowd, <laughs> not not the band, not the sound person. Not the only people who may have been into it was security because no one came and kicked him off. <laughs> and the guy was right next to Lockie, and he just was turned to Lockie, grabbed the microphone, started like yelling into the microphone with oh, his dick, no. just <laughs> smashing into Lockie's guitar. And Lockie's just looking at us going, what the fuck have I done? This is was ridiculous. It like, was it reaching some harmonics? <laughs> Bling. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if it was that hard that he was hitting it, but, you know, he was, it was slapping around on his guitar. Oh, and so no. Lockie's just off it. And it, the, <laughs> this is what I mean about the security. They didn't, they just didn't even seem to care. For two songs, this guy stood there naked on stage while we tried to get through these, like, tracks. And to the point where we was, I was just, like, like telling, like, 
push him off the stage. <laughs> yeah. And so Lockie like pushed him off the stage because this guy was trying to hug him and just kept trying oh, to sing into no. the mic. He pushed him off and grabbed his clothes and like pegged him to the other side of the room. <laughs> so that was all kind of the last we saw of that guy until maybe after the set, 20 minutes after the set, we, um, we walked out because we were loading our gear out to the van and there we see this man sitting there on the on the curb or like on the uh, out the front of the pub, yeah. hands cuffed behind his back and just a towel over his lap, just looking very very sad. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> Still no clothes, no shoes, nothing, Shit. just naked. And how? And that was New Year's <laughs> Eve. <laughs> and did Lockie have second thoughts about joining your band after that? Ah, uh, yeah, he he will <laughs> never forget that moment. I don't think. That's a pretty good story. <laughs> uh, it's pretty weird. Yeah. It's, it's just weird that like someone decided to take off all their clothes and stand there for essentially 10 minutes. Yeah. Like that's, that's a, a lot, lot of confidence. That's a big call. <laughs> At, and it was, you know, that's what I'm saying. It was, it was 7 p.m. I think. <laughs> P- people weren't wasted. This guy was next level. That's, yeah, that's, that's a... That's a pretty amazing um, decision at 7 p.m. Yeah, that's what we thought. We were like, I don't know. Just <laughs> People make some weird calls at the SB. I've, I think I've decided. We've, I've played yeah. some really fucking weird shows at the SB. And actually one of the other strange show stories um, was at the SB too. Ben Corbett from Six Foot Hick. He, um, he accidentally rolled in someone's ashes. <laughs> that had a Six oh, Foot Hick show. Yeah, yeah. At the I, SB. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I saw you wrote about that. That's pretty nuts. <laughs> That's pretty gross. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's kind of yeah. It's kind of weird. <laughs> hey, thank you so much for being on my podcast. I've really enjoyed That's talking okay. to you. Thanks so much for yeah, so telling me all your it's, stories. That's, it's all good. It was it was nice to get some of that stuff off my chest. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like a counselling session every now and again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, well, yeah. Let's catch up soon for a beer. Awesome. That sounds good. Mm-hmm.